0: Hey everyone, this is Mary, and before we get into the show, I just wanted to pop in and remind everyone that you can now pre-order our book, Dolls of Our Lives, Why We Can't Quit American Girl. Um, It's going to be published on November 7th, but if you go to our website, dollsofourlivespod.com, you'll see a tab for our book, and that will bring you to a link where you can order our book. You can pre-order our book from any bookseller of your choice, including local independent booksellers, which we highly encourage. We'll also be recording an audiobook version of our book and we're really excited to talk more about that as we work on it this summer. We're so so excited that this book will finally be available to all of you and that we can talk about it with you and we really do appreciate all of your support in the show. Those of you who support our Patreon and all the various ways that people show up for us, we're just so so grateful for it and we can't wait to share this with you. Thanks and now on to the show. Wow, we are opening this episode with, you know, just a randomly chosen clip of a person we imagine was inspired by Melody singing Lift Every Voice and Sing at Baychella. Um, Allison, how are you? How are you feeling about this moment in music?
1: I'm great. I'm very excited to talk about Melody Allison and kind of the direct line from her to Beyonce to this day, to the summer of 2023 when we get to talk about all this.
0: We made it. Yes, I'm so excited and welcome everyone to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm Allison. And this is, I'm so pumped to get into this new character. You know, the last character we did was Mary Ellen and I'll just be candid, like just speaking for me, it that was not it for me. Like I was really left disappointed by Val and those books and like, it was just kind of a heartbreak in light of everything that's going on. But also like, Picking up these melody books, I really didn't know how to feel. And I just want to say up top, we both, I think, really loved this book. Like, we're both really excited to be in this new world.
1: Yeah, we kind of went back to the 1940s to live in the world of Nanea and Molly. Obviously, different parts of the United States at that time. But then we kind of were in the Mary Ellen world. And I'm very happy to be Was reflecting on a specific place and time right? Like I think some of the mm-hmm. books that we've treasured the most feel very rooted in a real place and a real time. And I was excited to be with this family in Detroit in 1964 and to feel very much connected to a historical moment that's real. So I'm, I'm extremely excited to talk about Melody. She's one of my favorite new characters. And I think even with the Be Forever format, the writing transcends it to just be excellent.
0: It's so well written. It's so smartly constructed. The different things that we walk through in her world, the things that she's interested in, the cultural touchstones, the historical moments, like it's just so smart and so well done. But it's also just like very sweet and fun. So it's not also like feeling overly educational, which would take me out of it um, where I ate eight or 80. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, like what's new and exciting in your pop culture world
1: Yeah. So from, you know, the Ellison's Dinner Table straight to, I've been watching two very highbrow pieces of culture, one of which is uh, (laughs) Seeking Brother Husband, which I can't say I recommend, but it's a show about, so it is not a show about polygamy. It's a show about polyandry. Mm. So it's a show about women who are seeking brother husbands to add to their family. I like the way that they talk about logistical challenges, like in one of the okay. situations, they tore a house with the right number of bedrooms, but like clearly set up for bunk beds, which is not what they're seeking. And the other thing I'm watching, which I can't really say, like after we just praised the great writing of Melody, I can't say it's in the same category. But I've been watching, wow. and just like that, because it demands <laughs> to be watched. That's the only thing I can Oof. say about it. Casa? <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it good? Is it television? I think that it exists in its own universe at this point, and I just have to see what they're going to do. I don't really think there's any yes. purpose to it, but, you know, I also, like, I love a Wes Anderson movie. I saw that. I'm watching them for the same reason that I would do a paint-by-number.
0: Yes, I saw the Wes Anderson movie, too, um, a couple of days ago, and it was really fun. I mean, his aesthetic, it's like you could just show me his aesthetic and I'd be probably just as entertained. But I liked it. I have not seen him just like that. I'm not sure I can handle it. I mean, I just saw many tweets that were like, why did we do Miranda this way?
1: I think that they don't know what to do with Miranda, and I think that redemption starts to come in about the third episode where they realize Mm. that they need to actually ground her in some of the stories that made her meaningful. There's a plot line with her son, Brady. I think part of why they fumbled and weren't sure what to do is they pulled her out of New York, which feels sacrilegious. Like, of course, there's a plotline where Carrie follows the Russian to Paris. It doesn't work. That's the whole point. Like, right. these people right. are sort of like tadpoles. They belong in water. We see Miranda, like, go to Los Angeles, change or struggle with herself. And I think by the third episode, they figured out, like, what ingredients need to be baked into Miranda to work. Is it great? No. I, I will, like, I will watch every single moment that they put out. Okay.
0: Wow. Okay. Maybe I should be watching that. I was just telling you before that I was, I'm like taking in stuff that is not probably wise for me to be taking in, in light of things that are going on. Like we are recording this just days after the latest Supreme Court decisions. Like that's really on my mind. And I started listening last week, I don't know why, to the new season of Slowburn. Burn. Someone was like, I'm kind of like listening to this and it makes me hate him more than ever. Mm. And I don't know why that inspired me to like start listening, but I need like a narrative podcast when I'm mowing my lawn because I'm out there for like an hour and a half. So I've been listening to that and it is, I think it's well done, but it is really tough. It's a tough listen in these times, but you know... There's that. But something that's fun and, and I would re- really recommend is a book that I'm I'm loving and I'm really sad because I'm almost done with it. So I have that nice feeling of like wishing a book wouldn't end. But it's called um, Oscar Wars by Michael Shulman. And he wrote a really great biography of Meryl Streep a few years ago. He writes for The New Yorker. And it's a great history of the Academy Awards and just sort of like from the founding of the Academy to now and sort of how like you can see how Hollywood has changed by following the Academy. It's very dishy. It feels like a smarter version of Us Weekly at Ooh. times. And that's exactly my brand. So I'm loving that. Highly recommend. I'm hoping I, people will read it so I'll have someone to talk about it with. So I have a very selfish incentive here. But, you know, between that and reading the Melody book and reading our Patreon book and thinking about Barbie this month, like so much to look forward to.
1: A lot to look forward to. Also, I learned very recently from someone in our Patreon book club that Harry at the Spy came out in like the world of Melody. So that's a book from 1964. So that mm. made me very excited to reread it for our book club, but also just kind of was making me think, you know, there seems to be such a distance between 1964 and today. But to think that, again, we're really in the world of a character whose world is not fundamentally different from ours, right? Like, we're not so far removed as we were with, say, Kaya, Mm -hmm. where it might feel like a a very, very distant past. But that makes me all the more excited to kind of get into Melody and and what goes on with her character. Because we both could have loved Harriet the Spy. I think we
0: definitely would have in those times and now. I mean, I still love Harriet the Spy. Um, Yeah, I didn't realize that was from those years. I think for me it's like there's it it is a different time, 1964, but at the same time, like the sense of commonalities or the sense of like the political urgency that you read in this book, like that feels resonant to now. And I think that was big time missing for Mary Allen, where it kept me from feeling that sense of connection or interest, I guess, in the same way. So this this book was a major step up from the last book we read, and yeah, I'm excited to get into it.
1: So this book came out in 2016, so it is actually really pretty much on the heels of some others that we've read. And I'm going to give us the publisher's summary. The back says, meet Melody Allison. That is a trick. This is a be forever. I know that we choose to read the unabridged, so we don't get the images, but we get like the fuller text. Melody can't wait to sing her first solo at church. What song will she choose? She gets advice from her big brother, who has his sights set on becoming a Motown star, and inspiration from the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Melody's also inspired by her older sister, who's home from college with new ideas about making things fair. What isn't fair is their cousin's struggle to buy a house. Melody learns that they're not welcome in certain neighborhoods because they're black. Just as Melody's ready to sing, an unimaginable tragedy leaves her silent. Can she find her voice when it really matters? No Ordinary Sound, the first volume of Melody's stories about growing up in the 1960s, shows how people can come together to create social change.
0: I love that. That's a pretty good summary.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different moving parts in this book. And I think part of what this uh, kind of like long-ish publisher's summary gets at, there are elements of this book that I think when done really well are Awesome. I'm going to call them the gumpish elements. Like a lot of big things happen in Melody's world in rapid succession. They choose to pull in the actual bombing of a church in Birmingham. They choose to pull in Dr. King's actual visit to Detroit and then his famous I Have a Dream speech. There's like specific historical incidents that are happening around Melody, but it doesn't feel clunky.
0: It doesn't feel clunky. It doesn't feel there is a part of this where like in in less talented hands, this would feel like a weird version of we didn't start the fire with like a bunch of random like historical moments like you're saying. And I think instead or it's like also a bingo sheet of like every major theme in African-American or Black history in the 20th century is represented in the family life of this family. And yet it doesn't feel that way because that would be true. And I think something I really admire about this too is grounding it in Motown, like obviously a real record label, like hugely influential in Detroit in this period. And yeah, I mean, I just love that it's bringing together all of these different moments and influences.
1: This book is also written by someone else, someone who has done other work within the American Girl universe. We probably know her best for her work on the social books, but she also wrote McKenna, and uh, she's a Titanic girly. Denise Lewis Patrick Ooh. has written a number of historical novels, again including the social books, which is probably what we know the best. Something I like about her a lot is the family characters, and she does a multi-generational family really good justice, are very fleshed out. And before I even connected that she wrote Cecile, I kind of just dove into this book and I was really captivated by the brother character who has Motown aspirations. The father who works in a factory, which is kind of a perfect, you know, representation of Northern migration, right? Like looking for a certain opportunity in a city like Detroit. Her grandmother is very connected to her church and teaches people how to sing. Her sister Yvonne goes to Tuskegee, but is also growing out in Afro. Like you're saying, like this could feel kind of checklisty, but each character feels really welcoming of you into their world. And so you want to actually understand like Okay, she's chosen this historical trend, but how is it manifesting in this person? And I really liked that this was longer because I felt like we got deeper into the family dynamic. Whereas Cecile, we kind of got pulled in and pulled out.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think having the extended family be fleshed out immediately um, was really key. And because otherwise, I think I'd be like, wait, who is this person? Who is that? So just to kind of give a rundown, because again, we didn't get the meet the family. I miss those illustrations. Like I love that. You know, and seeing where people are are falling in terms of the importance to each story as you get to it. Like never forget sometimes Felicity's horse was more important than actual people in terms of the getting a a nice portrait in the beginning of the book. But she has, she is the youngest of four. Her older siblings are Yvonne, Dwayne. And Lila, her grandparents are big mama and big papa, which they're like big mama is small, but that's a sign of respect to yes. call her big mama. And I'm like, I respect that. And when and if I'm ever a grandma, I don't, I'm just putting this out there right now. I do not want to be called big Mary as a sign of respect. Like that's not going to work for me. No. Um, but I respect that in the family tradition. And then also cousin Val, who's a pen pal, but then moves there with her parents, who Melody calls Uncle Charles. And Aunt Tish. She also has a school friend, Sharon, a friend of me named Diane, who is also a singer in the church choir. Miss Dorothy is the choir director. And Big Mama is not just her grandmother. She is also a offers private piano lessons and voice lessons in her home. And Miss Dorothy and Big Mama or Grandma um, toured as gospel singers we learned. So this is a very musical family. Dwayne is like aspiring to maybe get signed by Motown. Melody's a singer. And there's just like a lot going on from the jump, but like then I had to take notes of like the different plot lines in this book. So plot A to me is that Melody is invited to sing a solo at youth day at her church. Like that's the first thing we learned about her really exciting development.
1: And she gets to pick the song, which is very exciting to her because not only does she get to have a moment to be spectacular in the church, which she cares a lot about, there is a sense of agency there that she's going to get to decide and spend the summer practicing. So that kind of drives like the early part of the plot.
0: I loved that she gets to pick the song because I really like from the beginning that she has so much agency in the story, like in a bunch of different ways, like even how she chooses to protest, how she kind of works through her insecurities. So, I mean, that made me invested right up top.
1: Like you said, we're also meeting the family in a way that feels organic. And the way that this is set is we're starting going into the summer. And so her sister is returning from college And there are many moments where it's either explicit or implicit, where we learn that she's very proud of her sister for going to college. We also learn that she's extremely proud of her brother for following his dream. In theory, this brother, he says that he's going to the factory and working double shifts all the time. He's actually not. He's actually working as a janitor and then singing and earning kind of his way that way. We also learned that her sister, Lila, has her own talents, Uh, possibly Lila, I could have said that wrong, that she has her own talent and she's being considered for a school for the sciences. So everyone is really allowed to shine in their own way. And something that was a little bit grating, if real, about Mary Ellen is she constantly felt like she was lost in the shuffle. Mm -hmm. And this family seems to have it together a little bit more where they don't let that happen.
0: Yeah, I think the the absence of any like sibling rivalry plotline feels really refreshing because you can kind of move on to explore other things and that doesn't bog you down. And like you said in Mary Ellen, it felt just like, I don't know. I mean, she kind of had like classic middle child syndrome, I say, as a middle child, um, but And that's interesting sometimes, but I really just was so like heartened by how much, like you said, Melody really vibes on her siblings and they all vibe on her. Like it's mutual, like, and there's so much going on with like their family network where it feels like they're all on the same team and they're all rooting for each other. And you get a sense of like, From the beginning of the book, the trajectory of the grandparents' lives and choices to Melody and her siblings' lives and choices and how they're kind of linked. Um, So it's kind of like it does set up the conflict of instead of them being rivals with each other or competitive, more like how can I figure out what I want to do with my life and not betray the dreams that my parents and grandparents have for me?
1: This book does something that I think is extremely hard to do without being pat in historical fiction, which is, as you say, set up how generational opportunities differ, right? When Mm -hmm. we meet Addie Walker, we are in the crux of a crisis, right? A pair of parents have to decide how they're going to liberate themselves and their children, and it's a gut-wrenching decision. And when we get to Melody's generation, right, we have several – You know, family members at this point and several generations at this point who have been able to, like, fully exercise their freedom and how they've chosen to live that is different, right? So, we hear that the grandmother is hugely talented. There's no sense that the grandmother would be able to, like, be a commercial success with that talent. But her grandson feels as though that's totally viable, And you have Melody kind of serving as this interesting go-between where she wants to be successful in the context of the church, which is what made her mother Mm. and grandmother feel as though they were surviving. But you're also getting a hint, and I know this is part of book two, that she's like intrigued by the recording industry. And I just feel like this author was like dangling something in front of us. I feel like the Diane front of me was supposed to be Diana and they were like too obvious. Wow. Too obvious. Yeah. I did wonder
0: that too. If it's like the Diana person was supposed to be an homage, like Diana Ross would have been your rival, which like could be real. Like I do think that that could possibly be real, but I, I know it doesn't work age wise, but I was also thinking about Whitney Houston. Cause when I was reading this book, I was like, I think no ordinary sound is a good title, but I think like finding her, your voice would hmm. be a better title Because as we'll get into, that's like literally a big part of this plot. But, you know, Whitney Houston called the voice like from another family that has generations of gospel singers before her. And then she goes pop or secular. And a lot of the singers who end up at Motown come out of the same church tradition. And I think in a similar way are kind of having to navigate like, um, if we go secular, is that a betrayal of like what our family has done? And and her family, like you learn early in the book when they're all at the grandparents house for dinner that the grandfather tells a story about their farm in Alabama and when he takes the crops to market and he has twice as many as his white neighbor and is offered the same amount of money. And when he protests it, like is threatened Mm -hmm. to the point that they feel like they have to immediately relocate as part of the great migration. Like, There's so much going on with that where then like the dad, her dad is a mechanic in the war. He's a Tuskegee airman. Yvonne is at Tuskegee as a college student. Dwayne is supposed to do that. He doesn't want to. Like there's just so many historical generations and moments like colliding here.
1: It's also very smart, I think, to have side but important characters – again, like the Rebecca books did this very well in the form of her cousin, right? Because her mm. cousin and her aunt and uncle who come up from Alabama service these really interesting contrasts, and I don't want to say foils, to members of her family – Like when Melody finds out that her sister, Bonnie, has been denied a job at the bank, she goes to the bank and has folks withdraw all their money, which is like a really cool moment. And we know that Melody is aware of Rosa Parks because there's a conversation at the dinner table. She also participates in a protest with her family and hears Dr. King when he visits Detroit. By contrast, the cousins who have recently arrived from Alabama, they're in a new place and they're adjusting. And it's not presented as, you know, so they need to be the opposite of this family, but they're trying to learn, like, what are the norms here, right? Mm. Like, what is the norm of living in Detroit as a Black person? And they immediately also come up against racism, right? There are challenges Mm -hmm. with them buying property, so it's not presented as sort of like once they arrive in the North, they, they no longer face racism. What you hear in the conversations between Melody and her sister or her sister and other family members is there's actual trauma that people who are trying to do things like vote and exercise basic rights in Alabama are bringing with them. And then Mm -hmm. it's compounded by the fact that things are not perfect in Detroit. There's other forms of discrimination that are better hidden. And I think, as you said, with a lesser author, someone who didn't know how to handle that material, this would have felt really like a rough read.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I think so. I think it was smart for them to base this in Detroit because I think a lot of children's lit that explores the civil rights movement, at least when we were growing up, it's firmly based in the South. And I think that could lead you to the false conclusion that it was only happening there and that the North didn't have a lot of similar, um, you know, different but similar issues as the South. And I think having the cousin come from the South to the North, you kind of get that point as you're saying of like, yes, they have this trauma about the violence being visited upon them at like seemingly any moment and the real segregation happening like she goes, Yvonne goes with Melody and um, her sister to the public library. And she's like, is this like the black entrance? And they're like, no, this is the public library. And she's like, oh, uh, what? Like so clearly ingrained in her, like this culture of segregation. But as you're saying, like redlining or the practice of restricting neighborhoods to um, only white residents is something that they, that's an interesting scene too. So like when they move up, Melody goes on a car ride to look at houses for sale and they see a woman look out at them when they're looking around this house and she shuts the curtains and the dad is like this is great I, I love my privacy I don't want neighbors like coming into my life and whatever um, but he's not under it's like an interesting moment of even his innocence in that moment mm. like he's so traumatized. But he's not understanding that like the North has just as much racism as the South. It's just coded differently and redlining being a major issue in Detroit and a lot of northern cities.
1: This book also underscores, and I think we saw this done really well in the Claudy books, right this idea of you know like earning a lot of or feeling a lot of pride right after having service. And as you mentioned, you know, we know that the father was an airman, but so was his brother, Charles. And that upon their return from their service, like they're not treated with the respect that they are expecting and that they deserve. And we get the story of specifically why he's leaving, which is that a black hospital where he's been employed is shut down. And he says, I tried to get a job at one of the white hospitals, but no one would hire me. And we learn that he's a pharmacist. Part of why I think that was like an interesting piece of the plot is they're showing that this is a generation that has seen incremental change, right? The family mm-hmm. had been sharecroppers or had been working the land. And now obviously this is a level of education obtained through war and service, but it's not changing the outcome. He's still not able to get a job where he right. can, you know, support his family. Melody is already a developed character by this point. So when she says that's wrong and they all kind of nod and look at each other, I think that's one of the best ways in a book to bring up a difficult topic and to have kind of like the innocence of a child underscore a fact Mm. that you hope your reader agrees with, you know, (laughs) like, like, and this was done really well by Britt Bennett in the Claudia books, not having the adults just say like, well, that's how it is. Like, Mm. Melody is kind of doing the math out loud, and she says, that's wrong. And then Yvonne kind of chimes in and says, but if everybody like you and Tish, the aunt, leaves, who's going to stay and fight? And they point out that, like, that fight is not even something they can participate in and make a living. And that's where it's like you see kind of the experience of her being a college student in Alabama versus them living it all the time
0: yeah definitely and i think that it's really important in terms of how this book is structured that there's a lot of moments of show not tell which i think Mm. works really well and you know so we get you know in the beginning of the book she goes to her grandparents for dinner and she's like i get to pick my song for youth day and yvonne shares the story of like wanting a summer job and not being able to get it at the bank and immediately hearing a white girl come in and be told there's many openings And literally, like Melody is like, that's wrong. And, you know, the hope is that everyone else is like reading it is like, yes, that doesn't make any sense. And then Melody, of her own volition, does her own protest where she asks her mom to take her down and take her money out, like $10. And her mom says, you know, your dad says voting is a way to speak up for what we believe. Money has a voice too. What we do with it says a lot about what we believe. It's on page 54. And I really like that moment because I think in a in the story it works to show Melody um, you're angry and you feel powerless, but you've just dis- you figured out this thing you could do over which you have some agency. And in a meta way, it's like for everyone reading this book, every kid reading this book, you know, it teaches you that politics isn't so narrowly defined as the ability to vote. Like there's many ways of um addressing power imbalances including you know what we control is like what we one of the things we can control is what we spend money on so i really love that moment because i think it's really i mean i would love if that created conversations around parents and kids reading this book
1: there's also so many moments where you remember that melody is like such the younger sister because Mm -hmm. they're getting upset and um she says if they won't give my sister a job then i'm going to take my money to a different bank And they're kind of like giving her that smile that you give a younger sibling. Thanks, Dee Dee. I'm serious, Melody said. The hurt on her sister's face made Melody think about something from a long time ago. Um, And it's a story about a Coca-Cola that almost exactly mimics a story about Gladys Knight in the book that we read last month for our Patreon, which is Shine Bright which is like these really simple moments of being denied something that feels like it shouldn't be a contest over power at Mm. all. Just being able to buy a Coca-Cola or use a restroom at a gas station on a long road trip, it really connects with something very basic with people. And I like that the way that Yvonne's character is unfolded happens slowly and deliberately. I think if in scene one, Yvonne came down the stairs and had changed her hair radically, we wouldn't have connected to that. But we see Yvonne trying to like ease into her summer in Detroit, coming up again from Alabama. And we see that within a matter of weeks, she's chosen to change her hair, right? Like she does it on Mother's Day. It's something that's very meaningful to her. But that's, I think, where the Be Forever format works is when we're Mm. unfolding a character deliberately as opposed to um, a lot of filler, which I think some of the other characters get too much of.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think the longer format lets you do that character development in a way that feels natural, but also... um, explore themes in a deeper way or more diverse way. So like having this book be about how can you find your voice? You know, if you're like living in a time of political unrest or whatever's going on, or just as a person and you see all these different examples, like, well, how do you spend your money? And then with Yvonne, as you say, like, she's, she like, I would say hard launches an Afro. Yes. I mean, the family gets no warning. It's mother's day. She comes, they're all making breakfast for the mom It's really cute. And they sing to her. Melody's made a card. There's always one sibling who remembers to get the card, and um, usually my family, it's like my brothers texting me the day before Mother's Day, like, "Oh, so Mother's they they like explain to me like Mother's Day is tomorrow or tomorrow <laughs> statement. So what's the plan? And I'm like, I my plan began a month ago. Like, where are you at? And then I have to fold them in, but all to say, you know, they have this really sweet moment, and she has her hair under. Um, a scarf. And then when she comes down to go to church, she hard launches the Afro on the whole family at the same moment. It's powerful, but it's also like, that's another way that you can find your voice, like how you choose to own your own body, like what you choose to wear, how you wear your hair, makeup, all these different things. And I thought that was a really great example of like another informal way of like finding and showing your voice.
1: While they're at the church, um, also Dwayne complains because her hair is taking up too much room, which is like Kind of both like a a very like historically specific detail to this family, and also like a universal that you are packed into a car and someone is taking up too much space. That is kind of like brushed off as like sibling stuff, and then someone makes a comment in church. What sort of a hairdo is that? Melody knew Yvonne heard them too, but she just smiled. She stands up for what she believes in. Melody thought, "I'm so proud. She's my big sister." And I really mm-hmm. liked that moment because it showed that, like, people are having different reactions, but Melody is able to distinguish between my brother is having this kind of small feeling, which is he's feeling inconvenienced by her hairdo, which Melody right. sees as being, quote, like a crown, and a person who is casting judgment at the church. And Melody sees that Yvonne doesn't care. She has kind of chosen to embrace this um, and to do something different for Mother's Day, which is a yeah. hard launch.
0: It's a hard launch for sure. And I also love like the sisters have this thing called sister thing where like when the three of like, when they can race home from school to be with Yvonne, if they know Dwayne, they think Dwayne's at one of his jobs during the day. Um, and they're like, we're going to have this time where we just like joke around and like eat Dwayne's snacks and, you know, like hang out and they call it sister thing. And, Genuinely reading that, I was like, "Damn, I'm so jealous! Like, I wish I had <laughs> sisters." This sounds awesome, but it was like I just again love that like the sibling the sibling relationships are never the the cause of conflict. Like they do support each other. There's never a question if there's conflict about questioning anyone's choices. It's generational because yeah. the main conflict that comes up. One of the other plot lines is Dwayne really wants to be a professional musician. And as much as his dad is pulling double shifts to send Dwayne to Tuskegee with Yvonne in the fall, Dwayne doesn't want that. And I thought that was a really interesting plot point, but to be like, you know, if you think you're giving the whole point of being a parent in this period or ever is giving your kids a better life than or more opportunities than you had access to, what do you do if Dwayne's like, I appreciate it, but I'd rather go do this other thing.
1: You also see, I think, in a really smart way, conversations about honesty or dishonesty within the family because Dwayne Mm -hmm. is being dishonest. He's not telling people where he actually is. Dwayne is is being very sketchy for a
0: lot of the book. (laughs) Like, I'm with him. I'm a fan. I'm here for the Ravens. Like, I get it. But he's being... Extremely sketchy for my like his double life capacity. Like, one, he doesn't have the skill set to pull off a double life, so he could never star in those lifetime movies where it's like, I have another family in another state.
1: But I mean, he's really trying. He also, and so, and honestly, the sister, the other sister's plot line of wanting to go to a science academy, we kind of dropped that, which is okay because they're like, you'll get that in Mary Ellen with her rocket obsession. I right. like this conversation where um she says uh, that she, like, is he going to tell mom and dad? And Melody steers her Kool-Aid. I'm not going to tell a lie, you know. I know, Dwayne said, putting a hand on her shoulder. And I would never ask you to do that. Just don't volunteer any information, okay? Dwayne! I, and that's kind of a classic okay. sibling moment where he's like, I'm no. not telling you to lie, but also don't tell them yet. And it's mm-hmm. interesting to see the contrast between, like, Everyone is kind of keeping something that is stressing them out at bay, right? Melody is worried about her solo. Her sister, Lilla, is worried about the scholarship. Yvonne has a lot going on with her activism. And Dwayne is like, I do want to be a pop star. And Dwayne has this sense in a very idealistic way that people won't care about his race if they just hear his voice. And Mm. a number of videos I was seeing on TikTok recently showed like early bandstand performances where predominantly or exclusively white audiences heard their favorite performers for the first time. And in a number of like notable and famous for the time performances, you saw young white fans realize for the first time that their favorite singers were black. And the looks on their faces, right? Like registering this kind of note of surprise. And we know with historical perspective that he is unfortunately wrong, right? Like the fact of his race will be taken into consideration even though people are consuming radio as an oral medium, right? Like they're not always seeing the performer, but as soon as people have that opportunity on things like bandstand or they learn, right? Like think of all the misperceptions about Elvis and kind of how that, Worked in his favor at times, you know, or didn't, but often, yeah. I thought that was kind of like a, a striking moment.
0: Yeah. And I think also, like, this idea of Dwayne as like an entrepreneur is also interesting or like an artist because he's not just a performer. Like, we also see that he goes into the, like, at the first family dinner, he goes in the living room while they're cleaning up from dinner and is playing a song he's writing on the piano. And I thought that was really cool because, you know, he seems like he's the perfect like Motown artist to sign. Like Motown itself is so new in this period. Like Motown was founded in 1958 and it was founded because Barry Gordy and his family at the time didn't want to have to pay largely white distributors to distribute albums they recorded by black artists. And he was writing songs, Barry Gordy, for... Jackie Wilson, an early black crossover performer, like Lonely Teardrops and stuff like that. And like Smokey Robinson is like one of the people who made Motown happen. And he could be Dwayne. Like, I think he could be easily the basis for Dwayne, but he also like is in the world of this book because they describe Mm -hmm. listening to Smokey Robinson on the radio. So I was like, well, I guess like you can't be in this world if you're the, like you can't be the avatar for Dwayne if you're also in this world as yourself. I don't know. But I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, he was 17 years old when he gets signed to Motown just a few years before this book is set. And he writes his own songs. And I think he also thought like, well, if I'm on the radio, like, no, I'm not going to have to deal with like Jim Crow if we go tour in the South. And it's like, surprise, like, yes, you will. But he's written a book where he talks about a lot of this stuff. And I kept thinking about him through this. Like he really wanted to be successful as a songwriter and as a singer. And I think that's what Duane is trying to do too.
1: Dwayne also reports sort of from the field when he does get to actually travel later in the book, telling Melody that it's not super glamorous, right? That like he is staying in a lot of really subpar locations, that he's not necessarily being treated well while he's living his dream. You're right also in bringing up, you know, like certain actual historical people exist in this. I also read that Barry Gordy released an early record of King's Speech in Detroit which Mm -hmm. the family in this book, the Ellisons, they attend, they hear that speech in 1963. And that was the basis. And a lot of the same material is what King spoke of when he did the famous uh, March for Freedom on Washington. So I thought that was like really well done to kind of put all of those things in place. And to also kind of allude to like, Barry Gordy was not just a music producer, right? Like there's a lot of oral tradition in this book that's very important. Like Melody is taught implicitly to value the story of her grandparents and Mm -hmm. to value like what they do. You also see that when she goes to church and she listens to the minister or she hears Dr. King for the first time, there's a high value placed on his ability to give a speech.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Which I think kind of ties into like why it's not just about like voice it's like the no ordinary sound is like it's about the collective speaking and not just Mm. that she learns to sing or like regains that ability to sing
0: Yeah, and even like going back to Val and her parents, like when the March to Freedom is happening, which was mainly motivated by a desire to protest housing conditions, Mm -hmm. among other things in Detroit, um, on the anniversary of race riots in 1945 in Detroit, um, there's like the whole family is like, we're down like immediately, like the the word of this protest goes out and the parents are like, yep, we're doing it because like their church is doing it. So that whole community is like we're going to get together, we're going to march together, it's going to be amazing. But interestingly, Val and her parent, like her parents are like we're not doing that. Because they're like we're just trying to get settled here, like we don't want to cause any problems. And that's where you see I think their trauma come through of like everything they've been exposed to so far. But Dwayne also doesn't go because mm-hmm. he's practicing secretly with his group who then gets rebranded as the Ravens. Um so it's like many different people trying to find their voices in different ways and it's i think the redlining incident that really radicalizes the uncle or like makes them want to be more part of or like i don't know if it's like it gives him permission or like i don't know but it takes time for him and for aunt tish to get to a place where they would probably want to join in a protest in detroit
1: i also mentioned that there is a recording because you can hear this speech online and it's a really good lesson. And part of what, you know, kind of like connects in terms of like historical chronology, Dr. King talks a lot about the Emancipation Proclamation and basically unfulfilled promises, right? Looking mm-hmm. back exactly a century and saying what have been the unfulfilled promises from the Civil War to the present, which they're at, you know, the 100th anniversary of and we're now at the 160th. And he has this line where he talks about the luxury of an anemic democracy, right? This idea Mm. that, you know, if things are tolerable and peaceful and prosperous for everyone, you could have an anemic democracy, but the conditions they're living with demand a strong democracy, And really trying to empower the people who are listening. So it's definitely worth a listen, the fact that Mm. it's captured, you know, and it's a real event that you can pull out of this book. Again, I think that's when these series, particularly the modern ones are stronger, right? There isn't some like made up event. This is a real event that Melody Mm -hmm. has been put into. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of
0: great online exhibits if you look at different northern state historical societies on redlining. And I think that's another opportunity too, just to see the connections between like he's making a connection back to the Emancipation Proclamation, saying these promises have not been fulfilled. And I think you can look, there's conversations now in a lot of public history exhibits about the ways that Dr. King's promises have not been fulfilled in since his lifetime with you know in areas like housing and jobs and all the the themes that really are coming through in this book
1: what did you think about the way that the sixth street baptist church bombing comes into this book and how that i think in a lot of ways it's not something i saw coming but it definitely sort of redirects the whole flow Mm. of this book pretty far into it as well
0: I think it was really powerful, and it was a good it was a good choice because it's it kind of humanizes or it's it's shocking still. obviously, we knew about this historical event before we read this book. But to read that you know these four girls are in a bathroom in the basement of a church changing into their choir robes, and that's when you know, like nineteen plus sticks of dynamite detonate. Um, killing them and injuring over 20 others. It pulled someone out of their car, driving past the church at the moment. Like to have, that makes it totally, it humanizes it for a story grounded in stories and lives of young girls. But I think you can see then how she maps herself onto this tragedy that the church we've already learned from walking along with her is so central to her family life and to her sense of herself to have that be the place of violence. You can see how that would traumatize her. And then that creates like a major, the major conflict of the book in many ways, isn't just like, at first it's like, what song will she choose? And she chooses Lift Every Voice and Sing and is really working on practicing it because it's a very difficult song to sing. And then the real conflict becomes like, she literally loses her voice when that happens.
1: It's also striking to me, right? Because we've talked about this before, that the way you first interact with an event whether you hear about it or you see it right for a lot of people 9-11 was something they saw footage from versus the assassination of jfk which they may have heard about Mm -hmm. patrick is very deliberate in this book with saying that she melody hears about this from a radio report and Mm it's first introduced to us as terrible news on the radio from alabama And that's immediately going to get this family's high alert up, right? Because that's where they're from. And they have all these connections through family and service and university to Alabama. And really over the next like number of pages, this line, I think, summarizes what you're saying. Well, what were these little girls doing? Melody can't stop thinking about that because her mind is filling in the visual where the radio report leaves that out. So mm. instead of immediately seeing, like, a flood of visual footage, as we would mm. probably today, Melody's mind can auto-populate her and her friends, right? right. Which is, like, right. an act of historical empathy that people are you know, like inclined to do. But I thought that was so striking that this was a radio report, right? And typically the radio, we've now known this family a hundred and seventy pages. The radio brings joy or sort of hope. Mm-hmm. And now it's like this very shocking thing has come through the radio, which she typically loves.
0: Yeah. I was thinking a lot about this because my mom just turned 65 a week ago and we had a party for her and I made a trivia game for like stats from 1958. But in the course of this, we were talking about just this thing, like, what are the moments from your lifetime that are like really historic that you remember? And they got to talking about my mom and her sister about where they were when the JFK assassination happened or who somebody asked them. And what they remember is coming home from school and seeing my grandmother sitting on the couch weeping with a repairman who happened to be at their house when it came on the news. And after this, the way my aunt processed this trauma was anytime they went anywhere, she would reserve food on her plate for Caroline and John John and room in their car and room in her bed and offer them things like they were imaginary friends to her that she had to protect. Like that's just how she was processing it. She was very young. But it reminds me of this where it's like, you don't really know like how children are going to process national trauma like this, particularly when it has such a relationship to your own experience in Melody's case.
1: And you do wonder, right? Like, I think, we know a little bit just from what we've like heard about sort of like histories of American girl. I think if this book had not, and this character had not already been fully formed and like ready Mm -hmm. to be sent out into the universe, it's hard to imagine that even a couple of years later, Melody would have come out. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if a doll or character comes out like circa 2015, 2016, she's been in process for a very long time. And I think about the way over the past, like, five to ten years, right, there's been such a spike in hate groups and internal domestic terrorist incidents. I don't think that they would make this character the same way today.
0: I Well, I wonder. i mean, hope. I, I'm...
1: Yeah. I'd hope they would. I mean, I think she's, yeah. like, even more relevant today than maybe yeah. when she came out. I mean, I think she's a very powerful character who has, like, a strong moral compass, and struggles with something real, like we joke about, Mm -hmm. but some of these characters, even someone like Caroline, right? Like she's in the middle of some real stuff, but you don't really doubt that her family isn't going to be okay.
0: Yeah. And I think with this, with this setting, it's like, you don't know even how the generational differences might continue to divide this family going forward in terms of like how they might differ in approaching getting civil rights. Like, does Yvonne become more of a liberationist than someone who's looking for more rights within the system? In other words, she wants to get liberated from it. I don't know. I haven't read book two yet, but I mean, well, it's probably years ahead of that. But I would hope that in, in now, like the brain would try to tell more challenging stories like this one or grappling with stuff that's real. I mean, to me, it's such a refreshing book to have a family and this girl Be dealing with real things and to respect kids enough to hope they will know how to handle reading a book like this, that we don't just have to sanitize or minimize challenges that kids might face in the world. Because, you know, like these times are not easy. And like I would hope I wonder, like, what kind of historical stories are they going to tell about 2023? Like I can only imagine, but I hope it's not something over sanitized.
1: Melody also, you know, like there's something at stake. She wants to be able to sing this song that's important to her, right? Mm -hmm. So we have kind of like a personal deadline. And I think these books work really well when we know what we're trying to get to. Like from basically the first few pages, we know that she has this solo and it's a question of, is she going to stick it? And obviously as like a pretty beautiful metaphor for the entire story of civil rights She does find that she has the internal strength to sing the song, but she's also accompanied by a voice of other beautiful, talented people who are her peers. And that's what constitutes the no ordinary sound, right? That it's Mm -hmm. not just a singular talented voice singing. It's this kind of chorus coming together. And I really wasn't, I mean, from page one, it's like, she's probably going to sing the solo but you don't mm-hmm. expect it to be the solo and. And I think that was a brilliant ending for this book.
0: I love when she says, so at this point, like Dwayne has gone AWOL. He signed with Motown. He's on tour. He's writing to her, but he and the dad have a falling out when it all comes out. He's not as good at hiding his tracks as he thought. And the dad finds out he quit his job. So, I mean, that's like an interesting point of like the family allowing him to go off on his own. But I mean, everyone else is sort of in sync They're hoping that she can land the plane and like sing this song. Of course she does. But she says, I have to do this, she told herself, for the girls who can't go to church. And that was really emotional to read where you're like, wow, like her feeling of empathy for them, like her identification with them. And like she's literally shaking going over the threshold of the church because after this bombing, she's so scared to go to her own church, which had been like a place of refuge for her. And the fact that Diane, Sharon, and Val all hold hands with her while she's singing, like mirroring the four girls in Birmingham with the four of them, like it's such a beautiful image. Um, you know, I hope I don't. Is there a movie for these books? There is yes. a movie, right? Yes, we I really hope that they don't stray from this part of the book. Like, I would really love to see this, you know, acted out.
1: Because she has to take the first step forward, right? It's like a very beautifully written section of the book. You feel the choreography as you're reading it. Melody stepped forward as the introduction began, right? Like we have the person with the baton telling her it's time to go. In a move she did not expect, her three friends step forward too. She sings, they don't, they let her have her moment. um, And then they're holding each other's hands. And the no ordinary sound is what the audience does in response. The audience clapped and cheered and stomped. It was no ordinary sound. Melody was overwhelmed by it and the truth of the words they'd just sung. And that's when she takes the kind of moment to look out and to appreciate the people making the no ordinary sound. And that's when she spots her brother. I thought for sure the book was going to end there. And then we kind of get this like goofy page and a half with her and Dwayne debriefing afterward. Um, and it kind of just like, le- I feel like the author ended there and then they were like, you have to give us a segue into book two. And Dwayne is like, I know that was like a really powerful and moving like moment in commentary on civil rights, but do you want to be my backup singer?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a weird moment. Um, <laughs> Also, I guess like older brother energy to be like, this was a big moment for you, but can we get back to me for a minute? (laughs) I
1: know Um, it's almost
0: Leo season, but it was like too real.
1: Now she knew she would never stop speaking for what was right. Melody Allison would never, ever stop singing. It's like we kind of knew that because she just overcame this tremendous challenge that was like vexing her and like the town doctor and her parents. And it's like we had this apps. There was two things that kind of made me laugh in this book. One of which was the cousin being named Val, because I just couldn't deal with it. And the second was this moment with Dwayne.
0: Dwayne is so messy. Like, (laughs) honestly, he's the messiest member of the family, and I love him for that. Um, I am rooting for his career. You just thought the word Val or like the name Val was like unbelievable? Or what made you laugh?
1: I just, okay, I think that by this point in the cinematic universe of American Girl, I think you can't just name a character Val and ask us to ignore it, right? Like, if we're going to praise the beautiful prose in this book, if we're going to talk about how Melody is a highly meaningful character, the fact that, like, Valerie Tripp was still on the payroll around this time, and we have, you know, this, like, very esteemed children's literature author, I feel being forced to name aside wow. character Val. Like, that's my guess. It just was was probably my least favorite thing about this book, which is not saying oh. much because I liked it a lot. That and the dog. I can always do without a dog character, but I wow. think they didn't. And this dog was
0: barely in, the, I mean, I the the dog was barely in the book, but to the point where it's, it's present enough to make you scared that no one is actually paying attention to the dog.
1: <laughs> it's not a Bennett situation, but... In like the accessory worlds for Melody, you can buy Bo, her microphone, her piano, her recording outfit, her hat, which is super cute. In the official encyclopedia, we're told that the dog is her best friend. And it says, What? Right. Not true. Melody's pup, Bo, is a mixed terrier full of playful energy. He's named after Bill Bojangles Robinson, a famous African American tap dancer and actor. Melody loves to take Bo for walks around her neighborhood. I'm not trying to be, like, cable news. This is, like, revisionist history. Like, Bo is not...
0: This is not... Like, they're trying to make Bo happen. Also, (laughs) was this... Did this book come out after the Obamas had Bo as their dog?
1: Oh, that's an interesting comment. This is... When is this? These Um, might be contemporaneous. That's very interesting. If so, like... 2016, yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Okay, but you know what? I'm sorry. Wow. I do feel like Bo was played up after the fact. I feel like Bo is not necessary. Like Bo
0: was neither cared for in the White House by the Ob- Obamas, no. nor was he cared for. Bo of this family cared for by this family. I don't know who has the time to care for this dog. Everyone is like hard launching new hairdos or personas or music careers or you know scholarship pursuits. Like no one has time for a pet.
1: No one does, and I feel like the author is actually from Louisiana, which is perhaps why she mm. was tapped to do Cecile. Um, and we get a note in the encyclopedia that she worked with an advisory board, which many of these people do, but she actually worked with people from the civil rights movement, and I just feel very doubtful that they were like, you know what this character needs is a dog named after Bilbo Jangles. Like, I just don't think that happened. I just... And I think it's always fun to kind of imagine or assume like where were their concessions and maybe it was like that or the Afro scene. It was like you get to keep the Afro scene on Mother's Day, but you have to add a dog named Bo. She was like, okay, this book covers like an astonishing like breadth of topics from – redlining to, like, HBCUs, right? To, like, the Afro and, like, natural hair movement. Great migration. Great migration, factory work, Motown. We get, like, all these different forms of discrimination. We haven't even talked about how Dwayne, Right. Dwayne basically acts as if he's opting out of buying the suit in the department store, but he's not being treated well. That's also set up as a contrast to what was happening in Alabama, which was like people being directly assaulted at places like Mm. department stores. So this book like does a brilliant job of covering a lot of topics. I know that Melody gets into a recording studio in the next book, which I'm very excited for. Can't wait. I also feel like, you know, the fact that there's like real things ripped from the headlines into this book. I'm very excited. Like, I like this character a lot. I'm excited to spend time with her. And as always, like, aside from Harriet the Spy, if you have things from 1964 that interest you, obviously tell us
0: get into it. I would love to talk more about Motown and the music of the time. Like they do like their own performance of Please Mr. Postman at one point in the book. sounds like it went really well. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of great music, a lot of great, just like pop culture from that moment in 1964. So I can't wait to hear what people are interested in, what they want to talk more about.
1: Like, let's just get into it. Yeah, and if people want to find you, is there a best place or way to do that? Please find me
0: on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. I don't know what's going on in Twitter. I don't really <laughs> go on there as much. It scares me. How about you, Allison?
1: Uh, Twitter is the bad place, as it has been. So I am there at Allison Horrocks. I'm also Allison Horrocks on Instagram, and you can follow the show on Instagram, Dolls Lives Podcast. We would love to find you there. You can send us the funny videos or tag us and things or like whatever you're reading and you're interested in. We also love to see, you know, your dolls. If you have a melody that you really want to show off, we would love to connect with you. So be sure to find us there and on our Patreon where we have an entire, you know, section dedicated just to mini dolls and regular dolls and there's always good conversation.
0: We have channels about all kinds of topics, pop culture, food, makeup, career advice, you name it. We have regional meetup groups. So if you just move somewhere or you're looking to make more friends, like that's a really great place to start. Um, All kinds of things. Our Patreon this month, we are going to be talking about Barbie and all things Barbie. And we read Barbie and Ruth by Robin Gerber, the story of the world's most famous doll and the woman who created her. So we're very excited to bring that to you and eventually talk more about Barbie the movie, which is coming out at the end of this month. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we will see you on the next episode.